Welcome to Working for Women, the independent women's forum podcast, where we are changing the conversation about women and public policy for the better. Hey, everyone. I'm Julie Gunlock, director of the Culture of Alarmism Project at the Independent Women's Forum and your host for today's Working for Women podcast. Today, I'm here with Laura Carno. Laura lives in the beautiful state of Colorado, uh, where she's an activist and the founder of I Am Created Equal. Uh, it's a nonprofit that focuses on individual rights. She's also uh, the author of a new book called Government Ruins Nearly Everything. <laughs> thanks so much for joining me today, Laura. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on. <laughs> well, I have to say, first of all, I love the title of that book, of your new book. Uh, the nearly um, in the title, I think, shows you to be both a charitable person and realistic. So I, um, I really like that. And we, I want to delve more into your book. I really want to talk about your book and what, what, um, what sort of inspired you to write the book. Uh, but for listeners, um, I want, you know, I, before I get to these questions, I want to read Laura's biography um, that's on the back of her book and because I think it will give – um, the listeners, a very good snapshot of just who you are, Laura, and your point of view. So here goes. It says, Laura understands that politicians are not kings. They are not endowed with some birthright to parcel out our freedoms in tiny doses as they see fit. She knows it's not the job of hired civil servants to tell us what size soda to drink, which light bulbs to buy, or what kind of insurance our family needs. She believes instead that we're all adults who don't need to be told how to live, but who instead need to stand their ground when government gets the relationship with its citizens upside down, when elected officials forget whose money they are spending and whose rights they are eroding, when they forget who the boss is and, who, and who's the public servant, then it's up to citizens to speak out and reset the balance. And, Laura, that's what you're attempting to do a little bit in this book, I think. You're, you're both speaking out and you're, you're trying to make citizens aware that they need to reset the balance, that there is an imbalance out there, and that it's up to us to reset it. So, again, thanks for joining me today, and, and I want you to tell me a little bit about this book. Um, you know, clearly we know the subject matter from the title, but give me a sense of the book, what you write about, and, and what really inspired you to write it. Sure. Um, and, and the reason that I wrote the book um, is that I think that both sides of the political aisle speak about individual rights and freedoms incorrectly. Uh, each side has its pet issues where it says the government should stay out of these things, but it should control these other things. And you reverse the sides of the aisle and the, the issues, and, and what you get is um, the other side of the aisle saying, no, no, it's these things the government should control and these things the government should stay out of. And I, I kind of go up to 50,000 feet and, and say there's actually a philosophy that says if you care about any issue, um, and I, I tackle social issues, the, the subtitle of the book is um, Reclaiming Social Issues from Uncivil Servants. Um, so I'm saying if you care about any of these issues, why would you turn them over to the government to fix. They can't fix anything. They're not set up to fix anything. And so I'm making the case um, that when there are big societal problems, they belong to us. They don't belong to the government. And the solutions belong to us, not the government. And I, I lay out people who are doing, um, doing things on their own outside of government to actually fix big problems. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, I think often when I argue with people, you, you mention how the government can sometimes create problems. And so then why do we turn to them to fix the problems? And I think about that issue. I write a lot on food and obesity. And what is so fascinating to me is that when you have a government that had the, for instance, the food pyramid for years, which told people, eat carbs, eat lots of pasta, and don't eat protein, and don't eat fats, no matter if they're good fats or bad fats. And, so, and you know, the government was saying, um, oh, cholesterol, very, very bad. Now, the latest dietary guidelines actually says cholesterol is no longer a nutrient of concern. I mean, it's astonishing to me. Um, it really was the government it, that, that at least shares the blame. It, I mean, there's other things, like the fact that we all sit on our, our tushes too, too long and too much during the day, but, but certainly the government contributed to it by giving people bad dietary advice. And then you have the same food nannies who want the government even more involved in, in our, our dietary choices. And I'm always trying to remind people that, that the government was, was, was the one who created the problem. And you kind of talk about that, too. What are some other problems? What are some other things that you think the government has created a problem and now, now the government is trying to fix that problem? Sure. And, and just to comment on what you just said, for us to to give power to politicians, and I'll, I'll just lump everybody into the word politicians, whether it's an elected official or an unelected bureaucrat, um, when we give power to them to say, yes, please tell me what to eat, um, please tell me what should be in my food pyramid, we have to acknowledge that the reason we're giving them that power is because we must think that they are smarter than us and know better than us, and they have their PhDs and, and all of their fancy education. And, but when you break that down you, and you make somebody admit that, we don't actually think that the government or politicians are smarter than us. We think that we know best how to feed our kids and feed ourselves in that case, and um, they're not smarter than us. And, and you know, I, I make the case that, that maybe they're, they're slightly less smart than us. Um, they just happen to have government jobs. Um, but I'll, the, of the, I'll talk about one of the issues in the book, and the four issues I talk about uh, are um, guns, schools, abortion, and marriage. And let me just take, um, take guns as an example. When the government, and, and I'm talking specifically about gun violence, by the way, we should be looking to do things that are proven to reduce gun violence as opposed to things that are proven to increase gun violence. So, so when, when people outside of the government um, have it in their heart to reduce gun violence, good things happen. But when the government says, I don't, I don't even think it wants to reduce gun violence, but when it says it wants to, it does things that make gun violence worse. Um, and all we have to do is look at Washington, D.C. Or, um, or Chicago that has among the most restrictive laws in the country um, and has the highest gun violence. And the inverse is true where, um, where there aren't those restrictions. It keeps the, the bad guy guessing, okay, I wonder who might be carrying a firearm. And, and crime goes down, saying that in a very simplistic way. Um, but every time the government butts into that, uh, things get worse. Yeah, and even after the Orlando shootings, it's really interesting because um, uh, I think there's a there's a, a gay gun gun organization called the Pink Pistols. Their their um, membership has skyrocketed. Um, gun applications among um, the LBGT community has skyrocketed. I mean, you know, it's a it's you know, and of course the government reaction is let's disarm 
the public. Um, of course, individuals know. Uh, actually, no, that's probably not the best solution. So individuals always sort of come up with better solutions, uh, yet the government, um, uh, you know, wants to, in fact, make it worse, disarming citizens so that, no, as that, you know, that club, nobody was armed in that club and nobody could, could shoot back. So, um, so you're right that um, the government almost always chooses the solution that individuals uh, have chosen the opposite of. So it, it, that's, that's a great point. The point that I'm trying to make in all of these issues is that, that we have a lot of feelings about issues. We, we feel certain ways. I mean, gun violence is terrible, um, as an example. Everybody agrees on that. Um, but the, the government is trying to make all of these issues into political footballs. And I'm trying to take a step back in the book and saying, what actually works? I don't care how you feel yeah. about it today. What actually works? And then we can focus on the solutions as individuals that have been proven to improve these situations and not make them worse. And um, when the government uh, makes these issues into political issues, uh, I mean, you look at abortion and marriage, for example. Um, can we please take a step back? They're very um, tough issues. But can we please take a step back and just ask the question, what improves these and a, a, a spoiler alert, it's not the government, it's people. <laughs> right, 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 right. You know, I, I write a lot about what I found kind of interesting in your book and um, and from my own perspective, because I write a lot about the phenomenon of helicopter parenting, and that is, you know, this sort of phenomenon, you know it well, of hovering over your children waiting for the latest disaster uh, to happen, um, waiting for, you know, planes to fall out of the sky or, you know, rocks to go hurling through the air or them to fall out of a tree, something more realistic. Um, and so I, you know, I, I'm sort of a, a, a follower of the free-range kids movement and, and think that that's far better for children. But now we're seeing this, this helicopter parenting, not of parents to children, but of government to full-grown adults. Um, you know, from, and we've mentioned this in this podcast so far, you know, from the food we eat to our ability to defend ourselves um, our ability to find work and support our families. We're seeing more and more, you know, government interference. Um, and, and I feel like, but I sometimes, you know, it's like crime. You wonder, is, is, so many people think crime is up because of the nonstop coverage of crime, but actually crime rates are down. Crime is way down in this country. Um, but, and yet people have this idea. I mean, that's, that's ultimately what many people think leads to helicopter parenting is, this idea that we we live in you know a war zone when in reality we we live in very safe times. Um, so, are, you know, are we overstating the problem? I mean, is is there more government interference in our lives, or are we just more aware of it with alternative media, blogs, writers like you? You know, I mean, are we are we overstating this problem a little? You know, and, and this is why I think I love following your work um, at the Independent Women's Forum um, because it's such a a good mirror to what's going on. And I talk about in the book that there are certain things that it's a, it's okay to tell your kids. You can tell them what to eat and, um, you know, that they need to do their homework and they need to write a thank you note to their aunt when they get a new sweater uh, for Christmas. Parents tell children that. What has happened with the government is we have this parent by proxy where the government is telling us, grown adults, what we should do, and and that's not okay. So I, I actually love that parallel. Um, specifically to your question, is it getting worse or is it just um, we're more aware of it? It is absolutely getting worse. Uh, you know, yeah. you you look back 
Let's even go to the 1950s. Um, None of us were born then, but um, we've got a lot of uh, recent history from hearing our parents talk about that. It would have been unheard of um, to have any government agency come into a, a mother's kitchen and even make suggestions about what she should be feeding her children. That would have been right. completely unheard of. And and now we have things like, uh, you know, the cashier at the store looking down his nose at you because you didn't bring your canvas bag, and this sort of finger-wagging um, on behalf of, of people because the culture has followed what the government has done. And um, so it's, it's definitely, definitely worse, uh, not just the perception. How, how does this occur? I've written a lot about schools and, you know, and not, not specifically about how kids are learning in schools, but rather I've written about how schools are now becoming social service hubs. Um, you know, you've got before and after school daycare, so you can drop your kids off at 6 a.m., you can pick them up at 6 p.m., Every single meal is now covered, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You can get birth control, medical advice, summer feeding programs, daycare for students who have children, counseling, family support. I mean, you name it, you can get it at a school. And, you know, that means schools have an enormous mandate now, you know, to the point that they're not really they, – they have all these other concerns that education has become secondary. You know, you write about um, about education in your book. What, what, what do you write about and what's your perspective on how, how schools are educating our kids? Right, and, and let's first say that um, the, the nanny, the, the folks that lean in that nanny direction have been very, very effective and very purposeful in mm-hmm. making sure that the school starts to replace uh, the parents. So th- that's exactly what you're saying. What I'm talking yep. about in the book is um, about schools is how do we improve Education, you know, we've we've had um, decades of the federal Department of Education with no improvement, um, only spending of billions of dollars, um, with no improvement in schools. And uh, there are definitely places where U.S. schools have fallen um, in comparison to to other international um, numbers on you know where we rank in in math and science and you know all all of those things that kids need to be able to compete in a global economy. Um, Back to government ruins nearly everything. Where government is in control of schools, they don't do as well. Kids don't do as well. But when people are in control of schools, and I talk about the charter school revolution um, that has absolutely changed education uh, nationwide and and made sure that kids who have um, special needs or who excel or who are just normal kids that learn in a particular way, that parents have the opportunity to say, hey, this is a good school for my kid. And, you know, back to, you know, taking over all of social services, I like the idea that parents can pick. This is a good school for my kid because I need them to get breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And a a different school says we're focusing on reading, writing, and arithmetic and not food. Um, And so a parent can make that choice themselves. And then the market decides who who is educating kids better. And I I bet it's going to be the school that focuses on uh, the fundamentals that kids are going to need to be successful. And then the market decides, you know, parents can see these kids are doing better. I want my kid going to this school. Yeah, that, that's, uh, you know, having free market solutions to things, it seems to never occur to the government. I write about the school lunch program as well. And, and I suggest in, in, a, in a book that I, I wrote, a compilation with uh, other IWF authors, 
we, I, I suggested that the school lunch program actually be privatized. I mean, this is a radical concept, but when you think about it, let's say that, um, that schools were allowed to contract out and they were allowed to invite different restaurants to come in and um, use their facilities um, to, to offer food to kids. I mean, we, the restaurants would serve whatever you know, the PTA or the school board or the principal tells them, if they say it has to all be salad, it has to all be healthy proteins, these restaurants would do it because they want that demographic. They want to bring that market into their restaurants. So it would be a boon for them, and it would, it would really help provide sort of better food. They would want to satisfy their customers. So, you know, this is a radical concept, and yet when you think about the school lunch program and what's being served, I mean, no restaurant that serves millions of meals a day is going to be good. The only other meals that the federal government prepares are, are those for people in jail, okay? So th- we're, not, we're not going to be producing good food. Kids are not going to eat this food. And again, looking at some free market solutions, again, while radical is really the only thing that will work. Um, I, I want to just conclude by, by, you know, we've talked about some pretty big issues some, from, from your ability to protect yourself, Second Amendment rights, um, you know, the problems with education in this country, but you tweeted a story. I want to I sort of end on, on sort of an absurd story, right, which, which, because I think we need to remember that this encompasses the big, big, heady issues, as well as these little things that pick away at our freedoms, right? So you recently tweeted a story about a decision in Boulder to ban ice cream trucks from public pools, right? And this little girl, I loved the quote you included in your tweet, this little girl, so that the city council decides to ban ice cream trucks from from going into the public pool. So, you know, the kids come running out uh, of the pool area and they get an ice cream, they sit on the curb, right? It's kind of a summer tradition. And so this little girl is quoted in the story saying, quote, but we already have parents to tell us what to do. Right, which is hilarious that she says this. I mean, what an astute observation, right? So do, do you have any more details on this? Why was this done? And tell us a little bit about this. Sure. So, um, and God bless that little girl for being being smarter than government officials um, <laughs> and getting it. Um, yeah, so, so Boulder, uh, for those in Colorado, when you say Boulder, Colorado, it doesn't. It doesn't surprise you that that came out of Boulder. It's the same place where um, they'll look down their nose at you for not having your canvas bag, and you know all, all of those. Right. They're just a, a very nanny state type um, town, and and it was being done. The the pool is a, a city owned facility, and it was being done quote for the good of the children, and you know back to the quote from that kid. We already have parents, and and I, I love that she said that, and I want grown ups. I want their parents to start saying, um, hey, government, hey, politicians, we, we're we in charge of our children. You're not in charge of our children. We don't need a village. Um, we already have parents, and we'll right. let our kids know what to eat. Thank you very much. Well, I love also the idea of um, that these kids are actively getting exercise, and they are running around a pool. They're swimming. They're burning off calories. The, if you want, I mean, I'm not a nutritionist, I'm a mom, but from a mom perspective, the correct message is when you do hours and hours of very heavy exercise, you can let yourself have a treat. That seems to be a healthy message. 
Um, I remember they, they banned uh, Coca-Cola uh, sponsors a lot of sports teams around the country, a lot of sports programs. Um, and in this one town, Coca-Cola sponsored uh, the big scoreboard on the football field. And some parent activists suddenly noticed that Coca-Cola was on the scoreboard and said, oh, that's terrible. What a terrible message to send to kids. Again, this is a billboard that stands over a stadium where students are actively getting exercise. I mean, that's actually a proper message that you can treat yourself to a cold Coke after you've been on a field running around, uh, you know, playing football and sweating on a hot day. So, again, these messages, <laughs> they lose the point when, they have, when, the, when government comes in it does things like ban an ice cream truck. They're missing the point that you're, the ice cream truck is pulling into a facility that's offering children, you know, an opportunity to burn off every calorie that they'll take in from that ice cream truck. So it's very frustrating. Right. Yeah, and, and it's almost like the Grinch that stole Christmas. Does the government not want kids to have fun? Um, the you know we all remember um, the ice cream truck coming through the neighborhood, and you're running to catch the ice cream truck, and you're you're getting a treat, and there's not there's not much that you can do to get in trouble there. You're you were out playing, and it was up to your parents whether you're going to have ice yeah. cream or not. Cause you had to get the money from them. The government and but the, the government yeah. So why? Um, why is it up to them to determine um, not just what we eat, but how much fun kids can have? It's uh, it, it's really um, out of bounds, out of control. And I and I'm glad you mentioned this because I love that that little girl's quote. Um, that is exactly what adults should be saying to their politicians. Well, I agree, and I don't mean to be cynical, but it's very. I think it's very telling when you have examples like this of city councils banning things. Um, or of the school lunch program being expanded, okay? They, they actively, actively encouraged schools to enroll more and more kids. And the reason is, I mean, they discouraged, they act, actively discouraged home-packed meals. And the reason is because government can't control a parent from putting a Twinkie or something sweet or something unhealthy in a, in a lunch bag. But the government can set rules, the USDA can tell the lunch lady, nope, you're not allowed to put butter on that. Nope, you're not allowed to put cheese on that. So it isn't about health. It isn't about safety. It isn't about making people's lives better, as the government claims it is. It's about control. It's always been about control. Right. And then that's why I like the the line, um, it's not their job, Um, because there are so many things that the government does that isn't their job. Uh, They're there's no, there's nothing that says that the government must take care of these things for us. And, you know, I love the light bulb example. Um, I really love the light from incandescent light bulbs. I don't yeah. like the light from fluorescent light bulbs and, uh, the, or the compact fluorescents. I know that I'm going to pay more in electricity and I'm going to buy light bulbs more frequently. It is my checkbook. I get to make that right. decision. They don't. Right. It's not their job. Well, Laura, I know we could go on and on about this, but I know we both have busy lives and busy schedules and, um, you know, and monitoring government activity <laughs> over our lives. I'm going to wrap, wrap this up for today, but I do have one more question for you, Laura. Where can people find your book and find your additional writings on this topic? 
Sure. So the book is called Government Ruins Nearly Everything. And if you remember the title of the book, you can just um, search for that on Amazon. Um, you can also find the link to Amazon um, at my website, lauracarno.com. And there's a, you can't miss it. There's a big picture of the book cover. You can click there. It'll take you directly to Amazon. Um, all of my blogs are also there at lauracarno.com. Um, so you can see the other things that irritate me on a week-by-week basis. <laughs> Great. Thanks again for joining me, Laura. Um, This has been another edition of IWF's Working for Women podcast. For those of you who listen, thanks for your time. You can find out more about this topic and many more at IWF.org. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please give it a thumbs up, share it on social media, or stop by IWF.org for similar content.